40 years ago this month, November 1980, an American saint died. A woman who had actually profoundly challenged the status quo of American Christianity and the status quo of our politics and the status quo of our economics and our military and the status quo of the church. I was only 13 months old when she died, but I have heard her name in passing here and there from time to time. And so this week, I decided to take a dive into her story. And what I discovered was a woman of action and faith who is challenging my status quo. And she's been pushing me this week to look once again at some of my assumptions and to re-examine my discipleship to Jesus and to ask some really uncomfortable questions about the way that I live in this world. And so I want to invite you to do that with me today, to be open enough to an American saint and to how she followed Jesus and to discover if maybe we need to change too. Her name is Dorothy Day. Now, maybe you've heard of her, maybe you haven't, but five years ago, Pope Francis became the first pope in the history of America to ever address the United States Congress and the Chamber of Congress. And in that speech, Pope Francis named four great Americans that both embodied the spirit of Christ and embodied some of the best ideals of the American spirit. And in that speech, he told the story of Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. and Thomas Merton and, yes, Dorothy Day. And in a way, it's a little ironic that her name was held up there in that Chamber of Congress sorry, um, as one of the greatest Americans because there was a time when her name was also on the FBI watch list. And she was thrown into jail eight times throughout her life. The first time was actually when she marched with the women's suffragette movement, demanding the right for women to vote. Second time, she was thrown into jail for being a radical pacifist during World War II, a very unpopular time to be a pacifist, as you can imagine. But in a later interview, she just said quite simply, works of war destroy food, destroy homes, and do everything opposite to what the Lord asks. So that makes us, of course, very ardent pacifists. It was just a simple reality for her. It was something, war was something that was contrary to the way of Jesus for her. And if there was something that was contrary to how Jesus lived, then she wouldn't do it. And and as uncomfortable as it is for us to say, and as impractical as it seems, Jesus did teach and exemplify pacifism. It's pretty clear there in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's also embodied in his arrest and crucifixion. Put away your swords, he told the disciples that night as he was being arrested. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And even though most Christians and most of church history hasn't been, 
Jesus seems to have been a pacifist and not a naive one at all. I mean, he allows himself to suffer the painful reality of not using violence to combat violence. He allowed himself to be arrested and crucified without a violent response. It's part of Jesus that I think has always been really hard for the church and really hard for Christians to reckon with. So the church has developed something called just war, just war theory, trying to name when a war is just. Um, but Jesus doesn't quite do that. Jesus was hard for us to recognize that or reckon with. I know he is for me on this point, but Dorothy Day seemed to think it wasn't nearly as complicated as we made it out to be. As far as she was concerned, if Jesus both taught it and lived it, we should do. Works of war do everything opposite to what our Lord asks, she said. So, that makes us, of course, very ardent pacifists. Well, you can imagine during World War II, she was pretty criticized for that by the church leaders of her day and even by many other Christians who had become fans of hers for other reasons. But she didn't waver from that conviction. And, and, and she went at it again, that same conviction, during the very early days of the Vietnam War, long before protesting that war had become a popular movement. In fact, it, it was said that Dorothy Day was incredibly consistent. She didn't change. The country changed and joined her. Dorothy Day was what you'd call an active pacifist. And as I've said before, peacemaking in the biblical sense, it, it often will put us in conflict with the status quo and in conflict with those that are doing pretty well off of the status quo. Peacemaking means finding ways for the poor to thrive, for the sick who can't afford health care to find the same healing resources that you and I have. Peacemaking requires loving our enemies and turning the other cheek, as Jesus taught. In fact, you might say that peacemaking, shalom creating, it's actually how Jesus describes his ministry. Remember that time in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus goes back to his hometown and he's in the synagogue and he takes out the scroll from Isaiah chapter 4 and he reads it and he says, this is being fulfilled in me now. Well, this is what he, he read. It's an outline of his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to prisoners, and to recover the sight for blind, those who are blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, Dorothy believed that if that was Jesus's calling, if that's how he named his own calling, then it's also our calling. I mean, if we are the body of Christ, then Jesus's ministry has become our ministry. His way of life is to become our way of life, even if that meant getting arrested ourselves just as Jesus was arrested. And, and so that's what she did. And she was always really respectful about it. She wasn't violent. In fact, she'd even call up the police ahead of time and she'd tell them, well, we're going to be in this park at this particular time protesting. I just wanted you to know so that you can come and arrest us if you need to. <laughs> she was just matter of fact about it. 
Dorothy Day had this sort of active pacifism. She just did what she thought was right, taking Jesus at his word, especially the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peace lovers? No, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are hungry and who thirst for justice, for righteousness. And Jesus, in that same sermon, that's where he teaches us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you and to turn the other cheek and to not build up treasures on earth that moss and rust will destroy, but to build them up in heaven, to not worry about tomorrow what you wear, will wear or what you will eat, but to seek first the kingdom of God here and now in our world. This is what Jesus taught And of course, this is also how Jesus lived, isn't it? I mean, that's what Jesus did, wandering from town to town, ministering to those in need, blessing the poor, reaching out to the broken and the tormented, just like maybe homeless people today in our cities and streets. Jesus did not just speak the Sermon on the Mount. He lived the Sermon on the Mount. And as a committed follower of Jesus So did Dorothy Day. And yeah, it was kind of disruptive, just like Jesus got in trouble with the religious leaders and the political leaders of his day. Dorothy would get in trouble with the religious leaders and the political leaders of her day. But it didn't matter that much to her. She she wasn't really that worried about what tomorrow would bring. She just responded to the need that was in front of her today. Now, interestingly enough, Dorothy Day didn't actually grow up religious. In fact, her deep concern for the poor didn't actually even begin with Jesus. It it really began when, as a young woman, she read Upton Sinclair's novel, The Jungle. Now, maybe you're like me and, and you haven't read that. So for those of you who don't know, The Jungle is not about the Amazon rainforest. It, it's actually about a metaphorical jungle, the kind of jungle that working in in a meat packing plant at the beginning of the 20th century was. It's a novel about the awful working conditions in factories after the Industrial Revolution, factories where workers suffered under long hours, awful working conditions, low wages, barely able to survive, And reading that novel stirred in this young Dorothy a profound distrust for those in power and a deep passion for for justice and for the poor. And so as she grew up and became a journalist, she began to write about that. She began also to flirt with the communists and the socialist movements of her time because in them she saw a movement that was caring more about the working class instead of the wealthy. And so she protested and she wrote, and she actually lived this kind of avant-garde bohemian lifestyle until she got pregnant. And even though she had been flirting with atheism before that, and she had been anti-establishment before that, after she got pregnant, things began to change for her she actually ended up naming her daughter Tamar, a a name that comes from the Hebrew scriptures, and she decided to have her baby baptized in the Catholic Church. 
And, and it was about that time that Dorothy was really asking some, some more kinds of questions, and she ends up picking up a classic spiritual work by Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ. And it's in there that she began to discover a Christianity that was dedicated to imitating Christ, a Christianity that was dedicated not just to doctrines, but to following the life and the teachings of Jesus. You see, Thomas Akempis in that classic, he writes, we must imitate Christ's life and his ways if we're to be truly enlightened and set free from the darkness of our own hearts. Let it be the most important thing we do then to reflect on the life of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Dorothy began to do. And it led her to becoming a Christian, in fact, a deeply devout Christian. Later, she even said, I, I became a Catholic because I thought the Catholic Church was the church of the poor after learning about Jesus. You see, for her becoming a Christian, it wasn't a polite way of having this nice religion. It was this total package that made demands of your life. For her, becoming a Christian meant this whole world of giving your life to the way of Jesus, to following Jesus and being the body of Christ now in the world. And so Dorothy, that's what she does. And then she goes out in her time and she keeps seeing these movements of these poor working class and these protests that were happening in different cities in our country, protests not just about wars, but, but protests from these working poor, these people who were living, working these incredibly difficult and awful jobs and awful working conditions, barely getting paid. They, they kind of looked like this ragtag group of laborers, but they, were, they began protesting at great cost to themselves, demanding something better for their lives. And Dorothy looked around at, the, at these working poor, and she, she saw who, who was supporting them? The communists. And Dorothy started asking, well, where is the church? I mean, isn't this where the church is supposed to be? Isn't this the church's mission to work on behalf of the poor? And so she starts to use her, her skill as a journalist to start a new paper called The Catholic Worker. And in that paper, she wrote to the church. She wrote to Christians and she wrote to Catholics across our country about these deep social problems of our day and the need to get involved as Christians and her paper just took off like wildfire. You see, I think in her time, just like our time, there was this deep desire in Christians to not just talk about Jesus and not just sing about Jesus, but to actually take Jesus out of his word and to follow his way, and to live and love and act like Jesus towards the poor and, and the marginalized and the disenfranchised. And, and that means often for us getting past our ideals and, and just meeting the real practical needs of real people who are struggling in our world as messy and complicated as that as that is. And so Dorothy, she starts the Catholic Worker newspaper. She starts writing to Christians about this, and it just takes off. It sparks this longing in people. But writing about it wasn't really enough. 
Talking about it wasn't enough. And this is actually part of what challenges me so much about Dorothy Day, is that she didn't just write about these ideas and problems. She began to get involved and live in the mess of them. So she opens what, what, what she called houses of hospitality, where anyone could come and be fed. And here's the thing about these, they were kind of like soup kitchens, these houses of hospitality. They were not a social program to solve poverty. In fact, she's very clear about this. Yes, we need to help the working poor and change our systems and solve poverty, but that's not what we're up to. The goal in these soup kitchens and these houses of hospitality was, well, it wasn't to change the people who came to be fed, but just to recognize their human dignity, to see each person in the breadline as a Christ figure, and, and to just meet them as they are on their own terms without us needing to change them. And so the homeless and the hungry and the mentally ill came through her food lines and those early houses of hospitality to just eat a warm meal and, and to be known as a human being. They didn't just eat, in fact, it was there in those houses of hospitality that they would find human connection and they would find community with one another. And so by the time that Dorothy dies, 40 of these houses of hospitality had sprung up in different cities across our country. And now, 40 years later, there's actually about 250 of them still feeding people, meeting people where they are on their own terms, treating them with the very same dignity we would treat Christ himself. In an interview Dorothy was once asked how all of that got started. And again, in her very just simple and direct way, she said, if your brother is hungry, you feed him. You don't say, go be thou filled. You don't say, well, wait for a few weeks for your welfare check to come in. You sit him down and you feed him. That's how the soup kitchens got started. It was pretty simple for her. She believed deeply that, yes, I am my brother's keeper. Each of us are. If my brother comes to me hungry, then I'm going to feed him. And, and yes, of course, she believed that we needed to challenge our government to have more just policies. Yes, we need to challenge the rich to break from the status quo and pay their workers more rather than paying their stockholders more and providing the best possible benefits for their workers rather than the easiest possible lifestyle for themselves. But when it comes down to it, she was always very clear that we cannot simply delegate our responsibility to care for the poor and to care for our neighbors to the government alone. Because we are our brother's keeper. If your brother is hungry, you feed him, she said. You sit him down and you feed him. That's how the soup kitchens got started. It was just that straightforward for Dorothy. As a young mother, and even later as a grandmother, and even later into her 70s. In fact, the last time she was arrested 
was during the farm worker movement led by Cesar Chavez in the 1970s. And I had to learn a little bit more about that too this week. And what I learned is that in that time, farm workers, these migrant farm workers were possibly some of the most marginalized people there were in our country. They were given these terrible wages, terrible working conditions out there picking crops. They weren't even allowed breaks in the heat of the summer. It was this excruciating work done on the backs of men and women and children from other countries, all in order to keep our grocery store shelves stocked and our groceries cheap. And there finally came a breaking point in that. There came a point where these migrant workers, as desperate as they were, said, no more. We cannot go on like this. And so they protested. And Dorothy, she was in her 70s when she heard about this, about their protests and their hunger strikes. And the more she heard about it, the more she knew their cause was a just one. And the more she felt compelled to support them and to get involved And so Dorothy traveled to California to meet Cesar Chavez and to join this protest. And yeah, she was thrown into jail for the eighth time in her 70s. And maybe one of the most prophetic pieces of religious photography of our time is actually this photo where Dorothy Day is sitting there in front of the protest. Dorothy Day, there she is sitting looking kind of like this homeless woman, but a very prophetic homeless woman. And she's sitting there quite calmly lecturing these police officers with guns in their holsters. Now, I don't know how those police officers felt about all this, but I'm glad it wasn't my job to arrest her. I'm sure that was not easy, but that's what they were sent there to do. Now, I'm not telling you all these stories about her because getting arrested and and protesting and working a soup kitchen even by itself somehow makes you a saint. I don't think they do by themselves. But I am telling you these stories about her so that you can get a glimpse of this woman that Pope Francis spoke about in the Chamber of the United States Congress as he told the stories of what he considers the four most important Christ-like Americans in our country's history. Dorothy Day, this woman who, who earned her place on the FBI watch list as a dangerous American, this woman who was on the front lines of protesting war and nuclear buildup, This woman who started the Catholic Worker newspaper challenging the church to care more about the poor and to get involved with the poor just the way Jesus did. And this woman who didn't just talk and write about it, but who lived it, who started at first just one house of hospitality that eventually became 30 houses of hospitalities that have now become 250 Catholic worker houses of hospitality to feed the hungry and the homeless, to feed them both in their body and spirit. And here's the thing about Dorothy Day. What sustained her in all of this work and this life sacrifice was not some ideology, And it wasn't some political affiliation of hers. And it wasn't some guilt-driven obligation. What sustained her and 
in what she often described as this difficult and sometimes depressing work was her deep devotion to Christ. You see, she wasn't just an activist on the outside criticizing the church. She was this deeply devoted person of faith, worshiping, attending mass daily, seeking God with all of her heart. In fact, one time she said that when she's worn out and exhausted, what sustains her is a cup of coffee and reading of the Psalms. Dorothy, as you look into her writings and you learn more and more about her, you, you you begin to discover a woman who understood that the evil of the world and the evil that we fight against isn't just out there among those people and those government systems that aren't perfect. That evil is also in us. And in her writings, she repeatedly tells us that it is ourselves that we have to work to change, not others. All we can do to other people is to love them. What we need to actually change is our own heart so that it might become more like the heart of God. In fact, in one of her most famous passages, she says, the greatest challenge of the day is how to bring about a revolution of the heart, a revolution which has to start with each one of us. When we begin to take the lowest place to wash the feet of others, to love our brothers and sisters with that burning love, that passion which led to the cross, then we can truly say, now I have begun. Like I said, Dorothy Day is challenging me in these days the way that saints often do challenge us. Now, she's also famous for saying, look, don't call me a saint. I don't want to be dismissed that easily. (laughs) It's kind of a good warning. In fact, it makes me wonder if Jesus might say the same thing to us. Don't call me holy. I'm tired of the church dismissing what I've said and how I lived so much. What I do know is that Dorothy's challenging me to take Jesus a bit more seriously. And what I do know is that she's making me even more excited about this mission initiative that our church is developing for next year of working more directly with the poor. And and that's going to be hard for us, I know, to let go of some ministries we've been involved in and supported in the past. But Dorothy has got me excited about how this new focus is going to help us make a deeper, lasting impact and get our hands dirty and and to be our neighbor's keeper. And I, I don't know about you, but what I do know is that if we're going to really do that, and it's going to be anything more than just some passing fad for us as individuals or us as a church, then Dorothy was right. I still need a revolution of the heart. Amen.